Hey, welcome to the Walk Into It podcast, where our goal is to get you walking for 20 minutes a day or more with audio that inspires and motivates. The stories are told at a pace to keep you motivated, energized, and designed for you to walk into it. There's a constant rhythm throughout the 20 minutes, and we will also take a few musical breaks to keep you moving and reflecting at the same time. Today's episode is brought to you by the Epilepsy Foundation of Los Angeles and was created in conjunction with the Epilepsy Walk Los Angeles taking place in beautiful Pasadena at the legendary Rose Bowl. If you are joining us live at the walk, then I imagine you are probably just at the starting line right now. And if you are not at the walk right now, but are in your neighborhood or maybe you're on your treadmill at the gym, I still wanna welcome you in and I'm glad you are joining us today. As we get started walking or jogging or running, and that's completely up to you, and by now, you should be moving, I just want to start this walk by letting you know how grateful I am that you are here. No matter what was going on in your life today, you showed up today, and you made the decision to be active, and that should absolutely be celebrated. Did you know that 1 in 26 people in the United States will develop epilepsy at some point within their lifetime? Think about that for a second. How many people did you go to high school with? How many people work at your job? How many people were at the last restaurant you were in? Maybe last night, maybe yesterday? Today we are walking for them, but I wanna get a little bit more personal for a moment. Who are you walking for today? Who is on your heart right now? I want you to let that settle in, find your rhythm, and we'll be right back with our story. In this episode of Walk Into It, I'm going to share with you my personal story. So let me start off by officially introducing myself. My name is Hoppe, DJ Hoppe to be specific, although these days I'm referred to as Coach Hoppe as well. And I have epilepsy. As you might be able to tell by my names, I am a DJ and have been for the last 25 years, and I'm also a DJ coach. Yes, that's right coach and teach other people about this passion turned profession of mine. I've been so blessed to share stages with some of my heroes like Michael Jackson, rest in peace, and Stevie Wonder, along with other more contemporary stars like Bruno Mars, Marshmallow, and Steve Aoki. I've had the good fortune of traveling around the world to places like Buenos Aires, Singapore, and Anguilla to play music and to be the conduit for people to have the best night of their lives. On the teaching or coaching side, I've taught over a million people to DJ through my videos online and DJ schools I've run. And my new project, The DJ Coach, is home to thousands of DJs from 122 different countries at the moment. Oh, and I love telling stories and hearing stories, which is why I am here today. In fact, today, I will be sharing my story with you. So let me take you back to where the story begins. It was 1998 and I was 17 years old. 
The East Coast, West Coast hip hop beef was over. And the song Too Close by Next was the most requested song at school dances. Latrell Sprewa had just choked out his coach on the Warriors, and the Bulls were on their way to their second three-peat. AOL Messenger was all the rage, and I felt so connected with my Motorola pager. I was a senior at George Washington High School in San Francisco, and I was living my best life. Let's put it this way. I wasn't the most popular kid in school, but did play three years varsity basketball, graduated with a 4.25 GPA, and was dating a college girl. Several, actually, if I'm being completely honest here. I started collecting records and getting into DJing, and to really paint the picture for you, my friends and I were given our English teacher's red BMW convertible to take out at lunchtime. It was ridiculous. It was the spring of our senior year, and my biggest problems were figuring out where will we go for lunch or where we were going to go and hang out after school. I'd just been accepted to UCLA on a rare, full academic regent scholarship. I literally felt like I was on top of the world. I felt untouchable. I cringed just thinking about how big my ego must have been at the time. I was the man. Then one night, I went to bed and woke up in the middle of the night, in the middle of my floor. It felt like I had been hit by a truck. My muscles were sore, my head was spinning, and I was so shook up. I had no idea what happened, but I chalked it up as a bad dream and climbed back into bed and went to sleep. I was a wreck the next day and felt like I had run a marathon. Everything was just so sore still, and I opted to stay home from school. The next night, same thing, except this time, I wake up in the middle of my room in a pool of my own blood with my mom and my sister standing over me crying. The next thing I know, I'm put on a stretcher, thrown in the back of an ambulance, and rushed to the emergency room. After running some tests, a doctor came in and told me, you have epilepsy. What? What the is epilepsy? After my emergency room visit, I was assigned a neurologist, who I shall not name. She explained a little bit about what was going on, but automatically started prescribing me anticonvulsant meds, and for about a week, I felt like a vegetable at home. I was scared, and I felt like I had been given a death sentence. My days consisted of a lot of sleep, and I was barely living. I had zero contact with friends and the outside world, and honestly felt hopeless. To make matters worse, on a visit to my neurologist's office, she decided she would add insult to injury as she said, You know, someone with your condition at 
this stage in your condition should not be moving to another city. In fact, I think we should rethink college altogether. Are you serious? F*** off. I'm going to college and I'm going to UCLA. I still don't know what came over my parents and allowed them to fully trust my bold decision to go, but I'm forever grateful to them for it. Now, as a dad myself, I have a hard time believing that I would be willing to do the same. Sending my firstborn 400 miles away just months after such a life-altering experience? My freshman year of college was rough. Rough is an understatement. My freshman year of college was the hardest year of my life thus far. On top of all of the natural life changes that my peers and I were dealing with, I was in a situation in which I was trying to live as quote unquote normal of a college experience as possible. Now, epilepsy and seizures can be triggered by a lot of things, including irregular sleep patterns, stress, poor diet, and drug use. Well, let's see. We were throwing parties in our dorm that I was DJing. Yep. I was eating the oh-so-nutritious food from the cafeterias. <laughs> yep. And now I was academically competing with kids who also graduated at the top of their high school classes. Yep. Oh, and I hated the fact that I was now forced to take medication that I felt like was making my mind foggy and lethargic. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, I had gained almost 60 pounds. What? In eight months. Whoa. I remember visiting my assigned neurologist on a trip back to San Francisco. I feel like the medication is making me gain weight. Well, let me see. It doesn't list weight gain as one of the side effects of the medication. Have you heard of the freshman 15? Yeah, but the freshman 60? Clearly, my doctor and I didn't see eye to eye. Outside of the side effects, the medication I was on was just not working for me. I was still having seizures, sometimes weekly. I would be studying for four days for an upcoming midterm, and then the night before the test would suffer a grand mal seizure in my sleep. For anybody that doesn't know what that feels like, it would be the same as if you were working on something on your computer and then all of a sudden, your computer just shuts down. When you reboot the computer, all of that work is lost. I was failing classes and the university threatened to take away my scholarship. I felt like my life was slipping away. I thought I was in love with this girl in my building and over winter break, she got back with her ex and broke my heart. I slipped into a depressive state and for the first time contemplated suicide. I checked myself into health services to meet with a therapist, but that wasn't the breaking point. The breaking point came not too long after that. I start to feel sick in the middle of the day. I'm having flu-like symptoms and I need to leave this afternoon class early and head back to our dorm. So I lay down in bed. My entire body is aching. I feel the most intense fever come over me and I'm burning up. Something definitely isn't right. I feel like I just need to call someone for help. No one's here, no one's home. I feel helpless. Come on, get up. Come on, just make it to the desk to get to the phone. Ugh, I can't move. I can't move. As I'm laying here burning up, I start to cry. And I know, this is it. This is how it ends. Everything goes white. I feel like I'm going through a white tunnel with images and videos on the side of the walls. And then all of a sudden this video plays in front of me. It's a childhood moment 
of my sister and I playing outside my parents' house. Then more images and more videos and then pause. Now a random video of an old basketball tournament I played in. The next thing I know, I open my eyes and I'm back at the ER. I guess this wasn't how this was supposed to end. I have no idea what day it is, but now that I'm awake, I found out on that day, my roommates had come home, found me unconscious and burning up, and rushed me to the emergency room. Soon after, I was having a chat with a friend. Have you ever thought about getting a second opinion? Huh? A second opinion? No, actually, never thought about it. We're here at UCLA and there are some of the best doctors in the world right down the street. I definitely think you need a second opinion. I went to UCLA Medical Center and set up an appointment with a new doctor, Dr. Hop. No relation to Hoppe, although I still find it pretty amusing that our names are so similar. The experience with Dr. Hop was the complete opposite of what I had experienced with my original neurologist in San Francisco. I shared with her the things my other doctor had told me and she was furious. She immediately went to work on coming alongside me on my journey and I finally felt like I had someone in my corner who would advocate for me. She understood my lifestyle as a college student and was trying to find solutions with me that would control the seizures while minimizing the side effects. We also changed my diet and that was the last time I ate red meat and pork as I jumped onto a modified Atkins diet. I want to emphasize that this plan was what worked for my body and my lifestyle specifically. One of the toughest things for people who have epilepsy is that there is not a magic pill or a magic one-size-fits-all formula. The key for me was finding a neurologist who was committed to partnering with me and was focused on me thriving, not simply surviving. Things were definitely looking up. The seizures were less frequent and I felt like I was really starting to learn how my body and my brain were working. I was asked by the head of the sociology department at UCLA if I would consider speaking at the 2003 commencement ceremony and I decided that I would share my story about epilepsy. On that stage, I wanted the audience to understand that epilepsy hadn't defeated me. It had propelled me. I wanted my fellow grads to know that we all face obstacles in life. I have epilepsy. Whereas you may come from a broken home or you have a learning disability, and no matter what it is that you have, you can choose to not let it define or limit what you can do in your life. Ironically, after that, I stopped sharing my story for a while. I'm not sure why that was, maybe shame, a feeling of getting past it, fear of the seizures coming back, fear of what other people would think of me in my industry. Regardless of why, I just did. This is a weird analogy, but it was sort of like when Elsa was trying to tame the wild water horse spirit at the end of Frozen 2. <laughs> I was handling it, but hadn't quite harnessed it. I definitely wasn't in control of my story, despite the seizure stopping. Then one day, I was sitting down at lunch with my publicist at the time. She randomly said to me, I think you should share your epilepsy story. Why? 
No, no. No, I don't think it's relevant, and I think that's a horrible idea. And then she said to me, you, you know I'm bipolar. You're bipolar? You don't look bipolar. I know how bad that sounds, but we were friends, and it was just sort of a knee-jerk reaction. And you don't look like you have epilepsy. Dang. Mic drop. <laughs> Got him. She was absolutely right. And I thought about how lonely it felt to have epilepsy. I thought about this power I was giving epilepsy by being ashamed of it. We decided to share my story on the biggest platform I had at the time. I was the resident DJ on the KTLA morning show in Los Angeles, mixing records and scratching us to break in between the anchors, talking about the latest entertainment scandal or the freeway fire that was now contained. The executive producer at the show agreed to air my story and help create more awareness around epilepsy and the national walk. After it aired, we cut to break, immediately when we cut to break. You know, Hoppa, my sister had a seizure in front of me when I was a kid. I totally forgot about that until right about now. Yeah, and my old colleague has epilepsy. I wasn't alone. I was surrounded by people who were affected by epilepsy. They were everywhere. I just didn't see them. We just weren't talking about it. I had just taken the power back. I had just mounted that horse like Elsa did in Frozen 2. Today, I am happy to report that by the grace of God, I am 16 years seizure-free. In fact, it's been so long since I've had a seizure that I've honestly lost count of the years. But I'm humbled knowing that I am one of the fortunate ones who have found a way to pursue my passion and walk into it. I'm happily married and my wife and I have built an incredible life together with three kids at the time of this recording. That's not me suggesting number four is on the way, just don't want to leave out any kids in the future. You know, these episodes live forever. I get a chance to help inspire people to pursue their passion for music every single day. I wake up every morning with gratitude and in awe of how God has moved and continues to move mountains in my life. I continue to perform regularly and spread joy through the speakers and through TV and phone screens and I try to spend each day celebrating the wins, no matter how big or small. This is the gift of epilepsy. This is walking into it. There are 65 million people worldwide who have epilepsy and there is so much work to do. I can't thank you enough for your continued support of the Epilepsy Foundation and this community both locally, nationally, and abroad. I recognize that you may have epilepsy like me, or maybe you are walking for someone you love who has epilepsy, or maybe you are just finding out about what epilepsy really is through this episode, and I'm grateful for you as well. What can you do? Become an ally. Help us spread the awareness. Talk about it. Help us destigmatize seizures and epilepsy. Help us walk into a better tomorrow. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed our story today, and I hope this leaves you inspired and motivated, and I can't thank you enough for joining us here on the Walk Into It podcast. For more information about the Epilepsy Foundation, we've got a link in the description of this podcast episode. I urge all of you to get involved and to donate and to support what the Epilepsy Foundation is all about. But if you're not done walking and you want to keep going, well, don't let me stop you. Keep going. You can do it. I appreciate you joining us here. I'll see you on the next one.